This is AgriPulse Open Mic, brought to you by the Corn Farmers Coalition. For decades, family farmers have worked in solitude, far away from consumers, but that's about to change. The Corn Farmers Coalition wants to engage the public in a discussion to reaffirm farmers' commitment to safe, abundant, and affordable food. Through innovation, technology, and ingenuity, farmers are meeting our growing needs for food, fuel, and fiber. To learn more about how productivity and sustainability go hand in hand, go to www.cornfarmerscoalition.org. And now, AgriPulse Open Mic. Jay Baroom, we appreciate you being with us for AgriPulse Open Mic. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to speak with you. Of course, you come from Illinois, and do you still have an interest in a farming operation there? I do. I do. Yep. So cousins and brother-in-laws farming uh, the land that my wife and I uh, participate in ownership, so uh, very directly engaged and uh, happily so for the last few years with the place that corn and soybean prices have gone. For over 20 years, you've been with uh, CropLife America, and uh, definitely the industry has changed a lot. It used to be what we called an ag chemical industry, and now it's a, almost a life science industry. Can you tell us what you see as the evolution of your member companies? Forward-looking, uh, and I think that's typical of virtually every segment of agribusiness uh, that we could single out, but uh, I think our segment uh, probably has a larger investment in research and development and a commitment to innovation than most every other sector, and it, and it uh, isn't uh, something that we do just because we're naturally you know, smarter or better than anybody else. It, it has to do with the demand and, and the precision of the science that's associated with crop protection chemistry. And now for the last 15 or 17 years, modern crop biotechnology innovations, both of which uh, the technologies you know, work hand in hand. And it's incredibly complicated, uh, advanced science. Uh, not that certainly animal science and you know, animal pharmaceuticals aren't sophisticated and, and science driven. Uh, but what we do in, in crop farming with all of this science, uh, along with our friends from you know, the seeds industry and the fertilizer industry, are bringing together uh, a lot of scientific inputs, uh, along with uh, the machinery that t is required to deliver and, and manage those inputs uh, with precision agriculture, GPS technology, uh, in the outdoors. And so, you know, we're doing all this in, in God's environment, and, and that adds an, another layer of science and sophistication for the regard of protection of the environment uh, with regard to crop production that you don't have in a lot of other aspects of agriculture. Jay, bringing it on down to the level that the consumer and others can appreciate, though, the crop protection industry definitely is one that generates jobs and adds value uh, to our economy. Uh, you did a study a while back. Can you give me an overview of what you found that your industry contributes? You know, all of us in agriculture you know, know intrinsically, you know, what we're doing is adding productivity and, and generating income uh, from the farm gate uh, and beyond. Not many of us have 
really quantified exactly what does that mean in terms of, of the productivity that gets generated uh, beyond the farm gate uh, thanks to the productivity of the American farmer. And so what we did was uh, locate a, an expert consultant uh, that knew how to sort of mine the data that's available in a variety of government uh, sources from the Department of Commerce, uh, Census Bureau information, the Department of Agriculture, uh, and, and really wrap it all together to put a metric on you know, what are the additional jobs that are created in the U.S. economy thanks to the productivity at the farm gate using crop protection products. And uh, what this study reveals is that there are over an incremental additional one million jobs in the U.S. economy uh, generating a payroll of over $33 billion a year uh, due to the productivity gains from the use of crop protection products at the farm level. Uh, we think that's you know, a way to kind of put in context for folks that aren't involved in farming or agriculture some understanding of what agriculture is doing segment by segment in terms of generating additional jobs, you know, whether it has to do with the jobs uh, associated with exports of agricultural goods grown on our farms and expanded because of the use of technologies like uh, modern crop protection or you know, additional opportunities for uh, processing of food, uh, those jobs are high quality jobs. Many of them are science oriented as well. So uh, wh what the report does is, is allow us to talk about the impact of our really truly tiny industry uh, in the U.S. economy outward to the rest of the economy and the, and the kinds of ripple effects that are positive uh, at a time when our U.S. economy is still uh, pretty stagnant overall. You have challenges with your industry right now. Let me cover the area of resistance. Uh, there has been a, uh, a lot of uh, academic work indicating that there is resistance to literally um, every herbicide out there and um, a call for making changes in management at least to be able to um, keep from having an epidemic of uh, resistant weeds. Um, I know you can't speak individually for your companies, but how do you feel your segment of the industry is responding to this uh, fear that we'll have resistant weeds that will cut our productivity? Well, so first of all, I would say that uh, the advent of, of herbicide-resistant uh, technology uh, designed into the crops uh, that started really about 15 years ago uh, with the Roundup Ready technology uh, created a, a simpler, uh, more manageable system for weed management uh, for the farmers that have that technology available in their farming systems. And not all crops, you know, have had the opportunity to incorporate uh, that technology. But, you know, for some of those major field crops like corn, cotton, soybeans, uh, it's been a tremendous advantage uh, from uh, an ability to, to manage uh, a major factor with regard to productivity gain and that is uh, to properly manage weed threats to crop production. Uh, it's made it simple uh, and it's been long enough that uh, we probably have forgotten some of the other systems that are out there uh, that allow for what was going to be inevitable which is a development of some weed resistance. Uh, it's not the same from north to south in the country uh, or literally east and west. Uh, and it has a lot to do with literally individually every field 
uh, needing to be managed uh, more carefully than perhaps uh, we have been doing for the last uh, 10 or 15 years. And uh, our industry uh, anticipated this. Uh, you know, obviously there are competitive uh, factors in our uh, membership and in our marketplace. Uh, and so, you know, those that had products that will be the answer to managing the weed resistance that's out there and will continue to evolve, uh, we have been preparing for a long time for this moment in time. Um, and, and, and in fact, uh, we have two new herbicide resistant traits uh, that are in review by the federal government right now, uh, 2,4-D resistance as well as uh, dicamba resistance. And uh, both of those products look very promising. Uh, they're proven technologies on the, on the herbicide side of the equation uh, because they're old products that uh, farmers have used for decades. Uh, they'll now have an opportunity to apply them in different kinds of applications uh, with the new resistance traits uh, that are, again, up for uh, consideration for approval by the federal government. Uh, there are controversies around uh, those new technologies, just like there are with any new technology introduction, uh, but probably more so this time because they're, they're linked to older herbicide uh, chemistries. And some people are raising questions about uh, the return to the use of older technologies, but the answer to that really is that uh, dicamba and 2,4-D have been through extensive reviews and re-examinations by the Environmental Protection Agency and many, many state uh, regulatory authorities. And uh, so there's a lot that's already known about these chemistries uh, that we wouldn't have in the way of a base of, of safety and use knowledge uh, if this was brand new chemistry that was coming forward as an answer to the resistance problems. So I'm confident that, you know, by reinventing some old products in conjunction with new traits, uh, that we've got some very fine solutions on the way. Uh, in the meantime, there are other herbicides that can be used as sort of combinations uh, for different modes of action to help uh, manage those weed-resistant uh, problems that are out there in those Roundup Ready fields today. You have uh, a continuous stream of naysayers about uh, pesticides who don't even want the products on the market today to be there. And you haven't been uh, one who's been standoffish. In fact, it appears you just invite them in and let them tell you what they think, which has to keep them in business in their own way. But what's your strategy in doing that, and, and what have you found from what they had to say? Well, you're right. Uh, we've had uh, a number of meetings over the years where we have invited our uh, loyal opposition to uh, sit down and, and have an open dialogue with us. And in the last three years, we've actually invented a new conference uh, that Crop Life America sponsors in Washington uh, every spring, uh, where the, the real focus is to have that kind of a dialogue, particularly with uh, some of our uh, most shrill critics, if you will. And uh, first of all, our objective is to allow our members to really see up close and personal, you know, the fact that these critics are, are human beings. Uh, they represent a constituency that uh, do have legitimate concerns. And uh, they're also equipped uh, oftentimes uh, with uh, information that isn't complete uh, or is flat incorrect. And so as an example, uh, some of the bloggers that we had in uh, at our conference a couple of weeks ago, uh, you know, made some statements about uh, the use of biotechnology uh, being very limited and we were able to point out uh, in the dialogue with them 
that uh, in fact uh, we have biotechnology products that go beyond just insect resistance and herbicide resistance. We've got uh, you know one new fine product uh, that increases corn yield uh, benefit for the conversion into biofuels. Uh, an amylase uh, trait uh, in corn uh, that will be very beneficial as farmers plant that crop for feedstock going into ethanol plants, uh, improving the BTU yield and, and other features of the corn plant for that end use. Um, and that particular blogger didn't know about that, D despite the fact that all that information is out there on the internet. There's way too much information for any of us to comprehend on the internet. So having that kind of conversation with a critic, uh, I think, helped inform that individual, and and hopefully, you know, he'll be able to be more accurate with some of the things that he writes about with regard to our industry in the future. Let me go back to one last thing, and that is the regulatory burden that seems to be placed on all of agriculture. Do you see that the people in agriculture are pushing back against that uh, to the point that uh, they may want a different type of administration or a different type of management uh, and that they would uh, vote accordingly this fall? Well, so first of all, I think it's important that uh, folks in farm and rural communities understand that their votes do count. and. Uh, to me, one of the best recent indicators of that is if you go back to what most people regard as a pretty significant, at least miniature tidal wave election in 2010, the midterm elections that saw uh, the Republicans retake the majority in the House of Representatives uh, by a substantial margin. And uh, Gallup uh, organization did some opinion polling a couple of weeks after that uh, November 2010 election and basically uh, what they found was that that tidal wave election really was decided by only 9% of the voters that showed up at the polls uh, that November. And, uh, and it's just simply that's how few of the voters that go to the polls in this country truly identify themselves as independent voters. And when you take the two-party bases away and those independents that identify and admit that they lean one way or the other, you're left with 9% of the votes cast. That's clearly in the margin of, in most states, what the rural vote is. And so to me, it says those of us who either live in rural areas or have family in rural areas need to be reminded that you know, we can determine the outcome of a lot of important elections and uh, that our, our impact, I think, can be magnified way beyond the levels of the numbers uh, that we represent. So uh, I think it's important for us to emphasize that American agriculture is not interested in, you know, no regulation or a wide open, wild west kind of environment. Uh, we value our environment. Uh, those of us who own and live on farms, uh, you know, are in the middle of those environments. So we drink the water. We eat the food and when we care about uh, the health and safety of workers. So uh, I believe that we've got the right message for American agriculture and that we're making an impact. Will that be dialed into uh, this fall's presidential election? I hope so, but it'll only be so if those of us who live and work and vote in rural America stand up and make our voices heard. Jay Baroom, thank you very much for being with us on AgriPulse Open Mic. Thank you, Ken. Good to see you.